This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and this is episode 95. In tonight's show, how schools can prepare for ransomware recovery, some tips for getting over your EdTech fears, how you can enhance learning with EdTech, and using EdTech to improve classroom behavior. It's like this is an EdTech show or something, Christy. I'm so excited to have you back. Welcome back. Woohoo! I am so happy to be here and ready to talk all things EdTech. I have missed you and missed our show. Well, you have been missed for sure on the show, and we're so glad to have you back. And I know you uh, had a really enjoyable summer, as most educators do. You seem to summer hard, get out there, and do lots of fun stuff, yeah? That's for sure. Summer hard, as much time at our lakes as we can, and then some camping, family vacation. So it's been busy, um, and I'm actually looking forward to getting back into the regular routine of school, because I am exhausted from summer. It's hard work to have fun. It really is when you're, I don't, nobody else can understand it besides the teacher, but summer is hard and it's tough to go back. And I think a lot of our listeners probably can empathize with us because most of them, I'm sure, are educators. And listen, I'm exhausted. Last week was the week leading up to the first week of college classes. And this week, it was just, it's just been a lot going on. So we're just going to do the news this week and um, we're not going to have a featured story, but we'll be back with that next week. And Christy, although it's been a while, let's get started, as we always do, with the EdTech News Rundown. And our first story is from EdTech Magazine, and that explains ways that K-12 schools can best prepare for ransomware recovery. Now, what is ransomware, you might be asking? Well, it's basically having hijackers, hi, or sorry, hackers hijack your data. And you may have seen this in the news. Uh, I've seen it before with hotel rooms where somehow they're able to hack into the systems and lock all the doors so people can't get into their hotel rooms. And they basically just take over stuff and ask for money in order to get control back. So if you want to get control back of your data, give us money. And it actually happens more frequently than you think, even to ed, even to schools, um, about I'm sorry, it's happening to schools multiple times since 2016, in fact. And 60% of the schools that have had this happen to them have elected to pay the hackers to get their data back. And that basically means to me that they just didn't have a plan in place to have their data ready to go and backed up. So this could be some important information. So education has responded with resources to encourage better security. And it's even threatened to strip schools of Title IX funding if they don't practice reasonable methods to secure data. While there are nuances to discuss about handling a ransomware event, this article deals specifically with recovering afterwards. So they recommend investing in frequent backups, which could eliminate the need to even pay a hacker if you have really good recent backups. Also, they need to create ways for quick recovery and restoration of that data. So just having the backup isn't enough if it takes a long time, you know, days or weeks to get it back up and get your systems back up. So make sure you have that there as well. And finally, they recommend services that have built-in disaster recovery, like DRAAS. I'm sure there's a way to say that. Maybe they say that draws. I don't know. But anyway, it's incorporated into Microsoft's Azure platform. So that's something that if you can do, it might be a great way. But the need for protecting data is important and equally important is the ability to restore that data after a loss. So small schools or districts, I think, really need to pay attention to this, Christy, because those are easier targets. Because if you don't have the systems in place and you've lost all this data, you really don't have a whole lot of choice then to pay. Uh, have you had any experience or heard of any other schools in your area going through this? I have not had this happen or heard of anyone locally about being held ransom for data. That is just crazy to me to do that to schools. 
But uh, yeah, I don't know what else you would do if that happened. So I can see why 60% would pay because that is so important. Um, you know, we are from a small district where I'm at. And so we've really just gone to everything cloud-based and we have very few local servers now. Um, part of it is for security reasons and they can put much better security controls on it than we can locally. Uh, so that's one way we've handled it. Well, that's really, actually, I'm really glad to hear that because a lot of school districts um, have issues with doing things in the cloud. And, you know, I, I think we have to get over that and we have to realize that that actually may be more secure than our local servers are um, we feel like if we have them within our grasp so to speak or we have control over the servers it's safer but you know I just don't believe that's the case anymore I think everything is dangerous and I think ways to circumvent that might be built into the cloud a little bit easier so I, I like where you guys are going with that and I'm glad it hasn't happened to you guys hopefully it won't yeah, hopefully it won't. All right, our next story is by eSchool News, and it gives us five tips for getting over your ed tech fears to help engage and empower students. And although we can assume our audience is not afraid of ed tech, these tips are valuable for the general uncertainty that new and emerging ed tech can bring. Their first tip is that we don't need to know the answer. Teachers often feel that they have to know everything before they teach it or use something, but that is really unrealistic. Instead, think of this as an opportunity to demonstrate effective practices to search for and learn to use unfamiliar tools. The second tip is to try tools that connect your classroom to other classrooms. I love that they mentioned Flipgrid, and it has a new feature called Grid Pals that helps build those connections. Third is piggybacking on the first tip. We don't need to know all the tools. Let your students help each other figure out tools they want to use. Fourth, go off script. If something isn't working, be willing to change it up. And number five, read books. Get inspiration and see how others are being successful with ed tech. Perhaps that and the other four tips are what you need to lose your fears of ed tech. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times teachers in general um, have this fear of not knowing stuff. And, you know, I had to learn quickly as a, a K-12 U.S. history and world history teacher that I just wasn't going to know everything about history. So if they asked me questions, I would be very honest with them. And they seem to like that and find it refreshing. In fact, I remember one of my students when I you know, first started was like, wow, I've never heard a teacher say that. And that's frightening because as much as we want to know the things, we also have to be honest with our teacher or with our students and let them know that that's not normal for people to know all the answers for everything. You know, it's more important to get give them tools to figure out how to answer these questions and understand when they don't know and know how to figure things out. But I think there's something inherent in the profession that makes you think like you have to know everything and you can't let your guard down. And I think that's probably the biggest thing for me with ed tech is that people don't want to do it because they just don't feel they have enough control and don't know what to do and they just don't want to get caught in that situation. Yeah, it really is a changing role of the teacher in the classroom, you know, no longer just the one person who holds all the knowledge and is ready to impart that on their students, but really more of a facilitator. And really, if we put it in the hands of the students, they're going to figure it out faster than we can. Yeah, and I, I love what you said about being the facilitator, and that is so, such a key point now with our era of just data and information so easily available. It's more important now to help be the person to help them navigate that information and learn from that information than just be the person who knows it all because it's just that's just not the case anymore, and we have to be honest about that. All right, our next story is an opinion piece from the Tech Advocate, and it talks about how 
tech should only be used to enhance the teaching and learning process, not replace it. Sounds pretty good so far. The author Matthew Lynch talks about how easy it is to get dazzled by EdTech. Yep, I get dazzled by technology in general too. VR is definitely fascinating, especially to those of us who remember film strips that beeped when they needed to be advanced. I don't know, Christy, is that in your, are you too young for that or do you remember some of that? Uh, I've never heard of that. <laughs> oh, yes. We used to have these little film strips that the teachers would show and before they would automatically, they, they became, they could automatically advance, but otherwise they would choose a student to sit there. And when you heard the beep at the end of the audio, you would just turn to the next slide. So yeah, anybody who's old out there, you know what I'm talking about. Um, let's get back to this. His assertion is that the awe of what ed tech could be takes us away from critically analyzing its role and effectiveness in the teaching and learning process. I've definitely seen that firsthand in a lot of situations. He makes a very interesting analogy about the need for teaching things like spelling since everything has spell check. So the, the immediate thing is to think, oh, since it has spell check, we don't really need to teach spelling anymore. But the reality is that it has been proven that knowing how to spell aids in reading comprehension. So the replacement of teaching and learning with ed tech solutions might solve one problem, but it could increase or create another. So we have to look at this holistically and see exactly what all is going on. And this argument will continue certainly as we adopt ed tech, especially if you're just looking at it for it to be the magic bullet for something. It's just not going to be that way. So as ed tech leaders, we have to be aware of this and speak out about this and make sure that what we're using ed tech for is really what we need to be using it for. And that's improving education as a whole, not just trying to solve one problem, which might create another. Yeah, we certainly like new and flashy things, but this article really reminds me to use the SAMR model, you know, and that's that substitution, augmentation, modification, redefinition about levels of tech integration, um, you know, at the lowest level substitution, instead of writing it on like, paper, you type it on a Word document. It's a little bit different, but there's really no change to the learning task. But I think it's this whole idea of the right tool at the right time. You know, there's nothing wrong with using a word processor to type your paper, right? That can really be helpful, but that is not really changing the outcome for the students or the experience. Um, so not that you can't do that, but, you know, let's get up that level of the SAMR model. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just think we we do that too often. We go, oh, but it can do this, and it can do that, and it can do this. Well, but if those things aren't going to help improve the education process, then then we then we need to just close our turn a blind eye to that stuff and just use this stuff that is a tool that helps actually improve learning. So I think most people who are in ed tech are realizing that this is a situation, but it is easy to get caught up for sure. Sure. I think I've done that with every like online learning tool, like whether it's Asana or, um, you know, I'm really into Google Keep right now, but it's like, what is the best way to organize my digital life? I always like, seems like to try something new to see if this is better, but I really just need to stick with something. Yeah, I have the same exact issue. And I have also started to get into Google Keep recently. So let's hope that works for me. Okay. All right. Next up, an article by EdTech Magazine talks about ways that technology can help prevent or mitigate bad behavior in the classroom. The article gives a few ways that technology is doing that right now. They mention a school that is using a tardy kiosk that late students enter their info and get a quick printed tardy ticket to be allowed into class. By making the process automated, the students are able to get into class much quicker than handwritten passes, which minimizes teaching distractions as late students come in. They also mention how software can help lock screens on devices to help students stay on a particular app to remain focused or to help them from cheating during an online exam. 
Finally, they mentioned that you can have them engage using their electronic devices during class that helps minimize their need to be on personal devices like phones. Even if these solutions are not groundbreaking, they still use EdTech as a tool, and in these cases, a tool that could actually help students improve their behaviors. Yeah, I think, you know, these none of these are new necessarily things, but I do think that the key, the tardy kiosk is interesting because it doesn't really solve behavior problems in that way. It's just helping there be less people coming in later and later in a class. And it is a thing. I mean, when I was in K-12, we had a tardy policy and they ended up doing it to where all the students had to go get a pass to come to class. And it, you know, when they mount up at one of the staff's desks and they have to write passes, it does end up being like 15 minutes later, somebody walks in and, you know, and it's like legitimately the time on their pass is that they really did just come, but they've been waiting all that time. So I can see that being an issue and it does solve it, but I I feel like we got to figure out a better way, like maybe, you know, make it interesting enough that students actually want to be there. I don't know. Maybe that's a little cynical of of teaching in general, but I know that you, there are strategies to make sure your students actually are there when it starts as well, besides just using a kiosk. But yeah, I, I mean, I think anytime you can use tech to help minimize bad behaviors or help them get them focused on something else, it's good. But sometimes technology can also create bad behaviors too. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just looking up this tardy kiosk thing. Yeah, <laughs> that it, sounds I, really interesting. It, it does. Um, not necessarily to help get kids in class, but just to process them through the office faster. Because think of how much time we'd spend from our office staff writing tardy slips. So. Yeah, I mean, and it's it is a. I mean, as you know, it it becomes a very huge problem, especially in high school, probably middle school too now, but definitely high school, where it's like, it seems like you need a full time person just to deal with that, which is crazy. Yeah, it might make it too easy to be tardy, though. That's the other thing. Like, it, there has to be some sort of a... Like, you have to go in and face the attendance person and explain in person. Right. It's too easy. And there has to be some sort of... There's just got to be follow-through and there has to be expectations set up. Otherwise, that's never... tardy. And some people are always going to be late. Like, you know, some of us may be married to someone. I'm not going to mention any names, but my wife, yeah, she is late a lot and it's just sort of how it it goes no matter what. So I know that kind of can be behaviors that people can't really get out of, but man, I feel like there's got to be a better way than just having them digitally check in and just kind of go, okay, you're tardy. I don't know. It's That's a large problem that we're certainly not going to solve here on EdTech Weekly. Not tonight. Not tonight. Maybe, maybe in the coming weeks we'll be able to do that, but certainly not tonight. All right, Christy. Well, if anyone is interested in checking out any of the show notes, getting the links, go to edtechweeklyshow.com for those. You can email the show at edtechweekly at gmail.com. And, of course, the subreddit edtechweekly.reddit.com. Follow us on Twitter for at Four Tech Teachers or at Christy M. Warren. And uh, yeah, I'm exhausted. So that's going to be it for this show, Christy. I normally put you on the spot, um, but I'm not going to do that tonight because we just got back. And uh, I think it's just about time to say goodbye. And we'll see everyone next time. Bye, everyone. Ed Tech Weekly. <laughs> <laughs>